Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Welcome back to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. I'm Brian Doherty, Field Agricultural Engineer with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And I'm really excited for the chance to sit down with our guests today and talk about a potentially revolutionary technology that could change how we manage weeds on our farms. The technology is called directed energy floral control. And we're going to get into what directed energy is and how it can be used to make weed seeds non-viable, as well as for terminating emerged weeds. Our guest today is John Jackson. John is the president and founder of a company called Global Neighbor. So John, welcome to the podcast and it's great to have you here. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks again. So I'm looking forward to our discussion, but before we dive into the technology side of things, can you just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and what led you to starting Global Neighbor? Sure, I'd love to. So I'm a farm kid from an Ohio farm and became an engineer and worked in that field for a while. And I started Global Neighbor and I started Global Neighbor kind of with a single mission to reduce the chemical use around your home and around the farm. And so we developed our directed energy floral control technology. We had the support of the U.S. Air Force, USDA and some private investors. And something really cool happened (laughs) when farm operators worldwide read about what we were doing. They thought there was a potential to use our solution to help them solve their problems. So we had like calls and emails and text messages uh, explaining issues that uh, farm operators faced. And we followed up and followed their lead to you know, see where we could participate to help solve some of these issues, in particular with our directed energy floral control. So kind of to that extent, you know, if we're successful solving a problem and getting a product on the market, there'll be a reflection of the kind of the ingenuity of the ag community helping us pull the pieces together and solve an issue. So I'm curious about the name Global Neighbor. How did you come up with that? I think we've all heard the phrase like think globally, act locally. I wanted to have a company that reflected this thought. You know, what can we do here that will help us all in a global neighborhood? And that's kind of where we coined the the name for the company, Global Neighbor. Yeah, that's great. So they're kind of two different but related issues or uses for this directed energy technology that I want to get into in the podcast today. First is this issue with weed seeds and trying to make those non-viable so they don't germinate. And the second is the related efforts using this directed energy technology for terminating vegetation. So let's just kind of start with what connects those efforts. And can you just give us the basics of what this directed energy floral control is and how it works? Directed energy floral control is the use of short exposures of high intensity mixed wavelengths of light. And uh, with our directed energy, we can make a weed seed not grow, or we can make it grow faster with increased germination. Uh, We can also die back a plant completely, or we can stunt it so it recovers later. And so kind of looking at it at a seed level, what we do is we warm up the seed like to 140 degrees so that it's receptive to blue light. And then we shine 20 times the amount of blue that it would see in normal sunlight onto it. And when we're killing a plant, our goal is to damage the roots and the photosynthetic system so the plant won't recover. 
in both of these techniques, we're using a lot of the same wavelengths and that's where they overlap. Yeah. So on the weed seed side of things, I'm curious how the different wavelengths work here. What's the mechanism or how would you control whether that weed seed basically becomes non-viable or it actually germinates faster? So this is kind of a neat thing, right? First, we figured out which wavelengths are important. So for us, there's blue, there's mid-IR, and there's a bit of UV. Um, Not saying the other wavelengths aren't important to the plant, but for us and our technique, that's where we're going to focus. And then we use these wavelengths to figure out how to stimulate a seed. And so once we figure that out, then we can overstimulate the seed. And then when we do that, by applying a different level of energy, um, we can actually start to damage the seed. And so we go in and damage some of the cells on the seed by overstimulating it, which then damage the cells where the reticle growth is uh, regulated. And then the seed itself may still be respirating, they still be living, but it, it won't be able to shoot a root. So it's kind of neat. You put it into dirt or you put it, you try to germinate it, it imbibs water, it splits, and then it just sits there. And so um, that's where we go to the damage end. In the end, where we're, we're stimulating the seed, there's about 10 times difference in terms of the energy profile that we deliver to the seed. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. So I want to get into a little bit more on the mechanical side of things. So you're developing a unit that would attach onto the back end of a combine that would pass the chaff through. Can you just explain that unit, you know, a little bit more from a mechanical standpoint, how that will work? So what we do is we, we try to capture all the chaff that comes off the sieves at the back of the combine. And our best place to grab that depends on the combine. So for instance, the New Holland that we have a system that's on, they have a field spreader and a chopper. And so for that, we can take the field spreader off and put our weed seed destroyer there. And so that everything that fell into the field spreader then falls into the weed seed destroyer. And then when we blow that chaff back out into the field, all the seeds in there are not viable. Like on a John Deere, though, where it has a combined chopper unit and everything feeds into it, there's a panel in there right before where the chopper makes that combination. And by adding just a little bit of a diverter baffle in there, when the chaff comes off, it gets diverted into the weed seed destroyer. Then we process it through the auger and then we blow it back into the spreader, the field spreader, spreading it into the field. So we blow it back up into that waste stream and we get it uh, spread out in that waste stream as well. Do you think this will be able to keep up with the larger combines we have? Is there any issues with it limiting capacity of the machine? So the the power draw for our unit, um, we're only taking like 10 horsepower out of the total combine, you know, on a combine that has in around 400 horsepower, that's completely unnoticeable. And so we don't slow anything down on the combine. Uh, You go ahead and operate the machine as you've done before. So the trick with the weed seed destroyer is kind of this elegant way to make these weed seeds non-viable. We're not smashing them up into little tiny pieces. We're just taking them off as they come, damaging a couple of the cells, and then sending it back out to the field. And uh, we keep the weed seed destroyer working completely outside the normal operations of the combine. So there's no worry. You just run the combine just like you always do. And with the weed seed destroyer, you're not only harvesting the crop, but you can also reduce your weed pressures the next season and the following seasons uh, without doing another field operation. You already got the combine out there working. Have it work harder for you by doing the weed seed destroyer system as well. 
Have you done any testing or research trials to determine the efficiency of making these seeds non-viable or see how that compares to chaff mills or other methods of limiting that spread of weed seeds? We we have we have we've done a significant amount of testing in 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 house, and then we started to use some uh, independent folks. So we have like Central State University, um, and they bought a uh, bench test unit, and we've got uh, one with them. And they did a test. They got ninety nine percent efficacy with Palmer amaranth, more than ninety percent with foxtail and ragweed, about seventy percent with Morning Glory. Uh, Louisiana State University is using uh, another bench system. They're testing eight weed species. Uh, They're testing it in rice chaff and soybean chaff. And they're presenting their findings to the Southern Weed Seed Society meeting on, uh, I think it's January 20th, the 4th. Um, So we've done a lot of testing, but we also have independent validation that we're, we're getting the same results. We definitely make great reductions in terms of the efficacy of the uh, the weeds that go to seed. Yeah, I think you'll get some people's attention with that reduction on Palmer Amaranth there. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the scourge. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what about engineering obstacles? Is there anything you still got to work through before you're ready to bring this to market? Oh gosh, you know, it's it's. I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing this, but we're struggling just to get parts. You know, some hydraulic fittings that I'd normally go down to the Parker store uh, down the street for, they don't have them. And then they're talking about like a month for me to get a quick coupler or, uh, you know, you know, fittings that you would buy barrel loads of. They're all in tight supply. So, you know, we, we don't really face too many technical obstacles. We're just <laughs> facing timing obstacles. You know, we had uh, part of the auger system on the weed seed destroyer uses a, uh, a plastic flighting. Um, it has to be high temperature plastic flighting. And so we uh, worked with the manufacturer. We were going to reviews with them. We've got the, we picked the material and, and the guy goes, okay, that will be 18 weeks before I can get that material in. And <laughs> the material is PET. It's like what you use on Coke bottles, but I got to wait 18 weeks for it. So it's just pulling out what little hair I got left trying to get parts. So that's, that's where our biggest obstacles. Yeah. I didn't even think about the supply chain issues when I was just thinking of that, but yeah, that's interesting that things are, are backed up that much for you. So, you know, aside from that, can you make any predictions, assuming supply chain issues get taken care of, you know, do you know when you might have some units that would be commercially available? Yes, yes. So, so we, I mean, we have we have units operating. Uh, we have a weed seed weed seed destroyer operating this spring in the, a barley harvest in Ohio. Um, they'll be on a New Holland uh, CR nine forty, and we also have one in Tennessee for winter wheat on a John Deere six eighty. Um, then we're going to spend the rest of the the latter part of the year uh, filling the pre orders that we have. And um, and so we'll be in commercial, uh, commercially available, you know, late this year um, once we get the backlog of the pre-orders behind us. Yeah, that sounds great. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about terminating weeds that have already germinated. So you also currently manufacture a small handheld unit called a weedy race. So can you just give us a little bit of background about how that unit works? And I'm just curious in general on the technology here is, you know, the mechanism that would make a weed seed non-viable, is that essentially the same mechanism with a plant tissue or is it affecting it in a different way? 
And so the weed race is much the same technique as we use for the the weed seed destroyer. We use this mid-IR to uh, damage the root system, whereas in the mid-IR in the weed seed destroyer, we use it to warm the seed up. Um, We also use this high-intensity blue light. So if you see the weed race, there's 100 watts of blue that shine out of that thing at the bottom. 100 watt LED. So if you think about like your house, you've got like a five or seven watt LED that lights a whole room up. We use 20 times that amount of light and concentrate it down into a little uh, one inch area uh, to uh, intensify that blue light. So that's it's still the same kind of uh, technique. The Weed Erase, of course, that's a consumer product. Um, so we had to take a little bit of a shift in the, uh, the wavelengths we use because, you know, there's some restrictions on consumer products, but for the agriculture products, you know, um, we shift the wavelengths to make them a little shorter or a little more, uh, high energy. And so the whole idea there is that if we do it that way, we can have it go faster. So where something like the weed race may take a, a few seconds to kill a plant, we can create a system in ag that may take one to two seconds. That's interesting. You said it's actually killing the root system and not just the above ground vegetation. The thing that we figured out is we don't have to damage the entire root system. And what we have to do is damage the root system about a quarter inch below the top surface of the soil. And if we can damage that root system and not remove the plant. So if we damage the root system and then we pull the top of the plant away, the plant regrows just like we pulled it out of the ground and left root behind. But if we damage the root system and leave the top of the plant there, the plant won't recover. And I'll leave it to the agronomists <laughs> to say why that happens. But we've demonstrated it even on deeply taprooted things like uh, dandelions, where we use this technique. And uh, we had students do 25 of them and then dig them up, you know, a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, and so forth. And a week later, they dig up a couple of them. They can see, oh, the whole root is really intact. It literally looks good. Two weeks later, there's white puzzles all on the sides of the root. And there's the top of the root is slimy. And three weeks later, there's a big portion of the root that's gone. And four weeks later, there's none of the root left, even though that root was maybe eight or nine inches long. And so the trick that we use is damage that top of the root and uh, don't remove it, the, the root crown or any of the top foliage. And then the plant doesn't recover after that. So I've heard about other companies that are also in this kind of similar space where they're you know working on what they advertise as high-powered lasers and they have robotic weeders. So is that essentially the same approach or does your directed energy technology work a little bit differently? So we, um, it's kind of funny because I worked for a company called Spectre Physics. We were the first company to commercialize lasers. And, and when I started in this, we started with lasers and, um, you know, different wavelengths and try to find the best one. And and what we quickly found out was if you want to do something other than seedlings, you really need to use this multiple wavelength system. And then we found the wavelengths that mattered. And those, those wavelengths, you can't generate from a commercial laser today. So, you know, we're in this, we're, we're going to be in this two to five, two to eight micron uh, wavelength. And there just aren't lasers that produce in that wavelength, that emit in that wavelength, and pardon me. And so uh, we had to create our own emitters 
And that's some of our old, our tricks that we use, how to make that wavelength. And we do that. And uh, the blue, though, the easiest way for us to create the blue is just to use LEDs. Uh, there's blue lasers in that wavelength as well. But for us, the blue LEDs are uh, a more economical way to produce hundreds of watts into a larger area so that way we can treat things faster. So if you think of the the laser weeders that are on the market, they're going after seedlings at a particular location. Um, I saw one of them that said it could do like, I think it was like a thousand weeds an hour or something like that, and which is really pretty cool, except when you start to think, gosh, one Palmer Amaranth has more than 100,000 <laughs> seeds per plant that are viable that next season. And uh, it becomes more uh, more challenging a task. So that's why we kind of we kind of migrated away from the lasers. We're more interested in doing something beyond a seedling, and we're also interested in you know dying back cover crops. And I think you you wouldn't want to lasers got a good application for seedling control, and for us, we wanted to do uh, more mature plants. Yeah, that kind of brings me into my next question. You're trying to scale this up for broadacre agriculture. Are you envisioning units that could run down the row and just terminate weeds and row crops? Or or would you be able to design something that could terminate a complete ground coverage, something like a cover crop? Yeah. So again, this is this gets back to the very beginning. Um, we had some organic farmers, you know, fly out uh and and talk to us about how they're doing their crop. Um, and how uh, DE could play a role in this. And so we're, we're going full toil on trying to work with cover crops. And I'm not an expert in it, but I believe these guys are. It's amazing what they do with cover crops. And what uh, the field I saw, they have the whole field planted, and then they uh, do the strips where they then plant the uh, crop into and what we're going to do is have the directed energy create those strips. So instead of tillage or, or anything like that, we're going to use the directed energy. We're going to take the cover crop and do an early termination. So I think at the point where the guys in Minnesota wanted to get it, it was like maybe about eight or 10 inches tall. And then essentially we take that, we're going to dye it back and then leave the cover crop as like a mat that's kind of down on the ground. And then they uh, no-till right into that uh, width. And in between the crop, they leave the cover crop growing. And so we've demonstrated that and and uh, we have it working where we can kill strips back um, and we can do it in a, a quick enough manner that it will be suitable for the field. And so uh, that's, that's the plan for that. Uh, we are planning to keep the uh, DE in a way so we can die back some weeds that may persist alongside the plant. So we do the strip treatment and then we kind of split it on either side. And then, you know, when the plant or the crop say is a few inches out of the ground, we can come back through again and then just run right over it um, and get the weeds that may have grown within that mat. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty neat system. So you kind of touched on this earlier, but what kind of contact time would you need to stun a plant or or kill it? And how fast would you be able to operate this unit out in the field? That's always been the the thing to do is how can we do this quickly? And um, you can only go, you can only feed so much energy into the plant, right? So the plant, I have to get this energy, the plant to receive this energy uh, to damage it. And if I overfeed it, then, or if I go greater than that intensity, then it just 
you know, it gets reflected off or it gets turned into, you know, change, it will change the matter. Um, and so we know the top number that we can get. And that translates into us being able to operate a piece of equipment. And I think the, our goal here is four to six miles an hour. Um, and then we expose the plant for one to two seconds. And so that all works into a piece of equipment that will actually be something we can field and, and hit the throughput that the uh, organic farmers uh, spoke to us about. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a reasonable ground speed. So how, how does, how is that unit actually powered? Is there like a generator that's producing the power or how does that operate? So, so like the first ones, the, the smaller ones, we're definitely just using a generator. So um, we'll have an on, onboard generator and then it will do all the electronics and fire that stuff up for us. Um, part of the trick of course is warming things up. And the other part is using lights to make it you know, warming up to get it receptive and then using the lights to then do the damage. And as we scale the technology uh, to larger and larger uh, pieces of equipment, we may shift, you know, the source to being like a, another source to create the heat. Um, but at the moment, we feel like we can get a good eight row system with a reasonable size generator uh, moving at that forward speed and just use it you know, kind of keep it that way without having to complicate the product anymore. It seems to me this technology could really be a game changer for, you know, how we deal with weeds. So I'm curious how you think your directed energy approach compares to similar technologies. I mentioned the laser weeders earlier. There's also robotic mechanical weeders. There's precision spot spraying technology. There's lots of things on the horizon here to try to tackle this problem. So how do you think your technology stacks up to some of those other approaches? You know, to begin with, you know, our, our technology doesn't have to replace anybody. Like, for instance, you know, for robots, directed energy is just a natural fit. You know, why use a mechanical weeder on a robot when you can just as easily use a light-based one, not disturb the soil, and accomplish the goal more effectively? So and that's where we can be a natural fit there. And, you know, we look forward to working with a company. Um, we don't want to do robots. We would love, we just want to do the weed control aspect to it. You know, laser weeders, really great for seedlings, you know, um, and I, I just uh, don't think uh, given the incredibly expensive systems that they are that in the long run, they'll be preferred, but I can easily see robotics and, and uh, lightweight and, and quick acting DE stuff that's low cost, like something like we have will be a great uh, solution. And I also see the weed seed destroyer playing a, an important role in the whole ecosystem of the weed control, because if you can prevent the weed to begin with, everything becomes easier in the field the next season. You know, you're not going to get rid of all the seeds. Uh, there's what a 40 or 50 year seed bank in your ground at any one time, but you know, we can stop adding to it and make your, you know, the next year's pressure even less. So I think directed energy is going to play well into into many of the uh, either robotics, the tractor-based equipment. Um, we've got a, a solution that can be tailored to whatever the uh, field implementation uh, demands. Just kind of wrapping up here, but I have one last question. I kind of like to ask anytime we're discussing new ideas or new technologies on the podcast. So what's your prediction for the future of weed control? Is this the solution that's eventually going to make herbicides obsolete? Or do you think we'll still need to use those in the longer term? 
<laughs> so, of course, you're probably the best person to know about the future, but but I'll take my stab at it. Um, looking through my crystal ball, yeah, I don't think we're going to make herbicides obsolete. I think we'll have something that will reduce the dependency on them. Um, and and I think as we go forward, a modern cover cropping system, pair that with robotics or autonomous tractors that surveil the fields and are equipped with like a global neighbor light-based weed control system. To me, it seems like the best solution for the ag market and and really our earth, right? You know, wouldn't that be great? You know, not only do farmers feed the world, but through CO2 sequestration, actually offset the other greenhouse emissions. It seems like, uh, seems like that's the world I'd like to live in. And I'm hoping my crystal ball holds true. Excellent conversations, John. So thanks so much for being here today and taking the time to share your thoughts on this uh, new approach for weed control. You can follow John's work on their company website at g-neighbor.com and feel free to follow us on Twitter at IAFieldAgENGRS. Please leave us a rating if you like what you've heard on the podcast. And as always, you can drop us a line at engineeryourfarm at gmail.com. We'd like to hear what it is that you want to hear about on the podcast. So we appreciate any comments for suggestions for future episodes. Thanks for joining us today on the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Podcast.